This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. This episode is brought to you by Sheets and Giggles, a company with a punny name but a seriously sustainable mission to make better bedding for everyone. Sheets and Giggles bedding consists of sustainably made 400 thread count eucalyptus sheets that are static-free, moisture-wicking, use no insecticides or pesticides, and are half the cost of their store-bought competition. Good Together listeners get 15% off at checkout by using the code BRIGHTLY at sheetsandgiggles.com. There's never been a better time to start growing your own food, and millions of people around the world are learning to garden right now for the very first time, myself included. Shelter-in-place orders came down in the United States right when spring planting season happened, and even people unfamiliar with gardening began placing orders for seeds. Companies selling those seeds actually saw exponential spikes in business, with some stores reporting the highest sales seasons they've ever seen. In today's episode of Good Together, Lisa sits down with one of the most popular green thumbs on the planet, Joe Gardner. National gardening television host Joe Lample is the creator and host of Growing a Greener World on PBS stations, and he also has his own podcast called The Joe Gardner Show. They discuss what sustainability and growing your own food have in common, how to get started with your own garden, what plants are easiest for beginners, and lots more. As somebody who's never considered myself to have a particularly green thumb, this episode was fascinating, inspiring, and informational. Let's get into it. All right, I think we're live. Hello, Joe. Hey, Lisa, how are you? Great. Thank you. So glad to have you. I'm really excited about this episode, not just because I've been spending a lot more time in my little garden, but first of all, to have you on our show to talk to our audience and listeners about all things gardening and how to grow your own food. Mm -hmm. And let me introduce you and then I will tell I will let you talk, uh, tell us, our listeners, a bit about your story. But Joe, I'm sure you don't need introductions, but I'll do that anyways. <laughs> Joe Lample is here with us, and he's the founder and Joe behind JoeGardner.com. Uh, he's also a podcast host and creator, executive producer, and host of 
Growing a Greener World, uh, the Emmy Award-winning PBS show. Mm -hmm. So we're extremely excited to have you talk to us about all things gardening, Joe. <laughs> I love talking about gardening. So as much time as you are willing to give me, I can, I can talk for days and I, I love it. So thanks for the opportunity. That's great. Well, why don't we start by you telling us about how gardening and how your passion for gardening farming started? All right. Well, you know, I was an accidental gardener. I was the youngest of four boys. I grew up in Miami, Florida. And my next oldest brother was five years older than me. So back when I was eight years old, he's 13 and he didn't really want to really hang out with me anymore. So I'm out there on the weekends hanging out with my dad, which I love to do. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't come from a family of gardeners, but I would say my dad, I call my dad a weekend warrior. He was the guy that every weekend spent time mowing the grass and trimming the the mm -hmm. lines in the driveway, you know, so it's nice and crisp and trimming the bushes and, you know, getting it all nice and tidy over the weekend. And I would just follow him around and kind of do what he did. So one Saturday at the end of his day, he had everything looking great. He went in the house to, you know, relax and I'm still had some energy in me. And I was running around one of the bushes that he had just cut. And somehow I tripped or kicked the bush or something. Anyway, I broke a branch oh, off no. of one of the, yeah, that he had just been working on. And I thought, oh no, I don't want to get in trouble for this. And he was such a kind man. Nothing would have ever happened, but still, you know, I worried about it. So I took that broken branch in my hand and I said, what do I do now? So I stuck it back in the ground, right at the base of the mother plant. So, you know, kind of hiding your tracks, covering your tracks. And so I poured, I pushed soil back around it and just, hope that it, you know, would do okay. But I didn't know. I, I didn't, I'm not a gardener. I had no idea what would happen. So I went about my business and really forgot about it. But about two months later, I think I was in that same area and it reminded me of that plant that I broke. And I was looking for that branch just to see what had happened to it. But I was thinking it was going to be dead, but I couldn't find a dead branch. And then I zeroed in on that plant and I looked and I found the branch I stuck in the ground next to it and it would hit, it started sprouting leaves and it looked like kind of like the rest of the plant. And I thought that is crazy because this was detached from the parent plant. I just stuck it in the ground and now it's alive again. So that literally sparked my lifetime passion for knowledge in gardening. And I just kept going from there. You know, I started seeds and plants and I had roses growing in the backyard and I grew fruit and vegetables. You, anything you could possibly grow, I was trying. And I didn't know whether, you know, the stuff I was growing would grow or not, but I was just trying everything. And the more I, the more I tried stuff, the more successful I was finding my, my work was happening. So, you know, I don't think it was me. I just think that the way things are genetically programmed there, they want to grow, right? Seeds want to sprout and plants Absolutely. want to set roots. And, and I was just kind of the, um, the caretaker or the steward of it. And I loved it. I, I found that I love taking care of things, especially related to plants. And so anyway, long story short, my, my interest just grew every day, literally just every day. I want, wanted more and more knowledge of it. So I became a sponge. I'd read books. I would talk to nursery owners. I would start little nurseries and, you know, anything you could do. And, Next thing you know, I'm studying horticulture in college and I'm uh, getting an opportunity to fast fast forward. I'm getting an opportunity to be the host of on DIY Network for a brand new show that turned out to be a three-year series and 52 episodes. And wow. it went on to an, then I went on to another television uh, gardening show as the host. And then I decided 
I'm going to create my own series because, and this is something I think that's really relevant for you, Lisa, and your audience, is that even though I was the host of gardening shows, the people that were writing the shows, and I was just the host at that time. You know, I was the one that was kind of being told what to say. Got and, it. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt like they weren't getting it. The writers, they weren't gardeners. They were writers and people that were coming from another industry into creating a gardening show. But I knew that I, I felt like I knew what people wanted to know. And I knew that they had a real interest in more environmental stewardship and growing food and plants organically and not using chemicals and things like that. But the people that were writing those shows prior to the one that I created, they weren't thinking in that direction. And I felt like if I didn't stop and quit my second series and take a year off to create Growing a Greener World, we might miss an opportunity because nobody else out there in the gardening TV world was creating anything like that. So I said, that's what I'm going to do. So I took a year off and I decided, you know, I knew all the, all along that I wanted to create a show that was about gardening, but it was also embracing lightening your environmental footprint and environmental stewardship and how can we live a more sustainable lifestyle, especially as it relates to gardening, because with gardening, so many good things come from that. You're growing your own food. You're taking more control over what goes into your body. And at the same time, you're making decisions on how you care for those plants. Do you use synthetic pesticides Mm -hmm. or chemicals that, you know, are manufactured from fossil fuels and that can kill beneficial insects? Or do you not? Do you show a more alter- a better alternative, more environmentally friendly way to do it? And so that's what my goal and my mission was and why I named the show Growing a Greener World with a tagline, it's not just our name, it's our mission. Because every episode, we wanted people to learn something about organic gardening, but at the same time, how to just lighten their environmental footprint, especially as it related to gardening. And you know, here we are 11 years later, and I'm happy to say that every year, more and more people are on board with that, and I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. In fact, I'm so encouraged by every year that goes by, and I'm just happy that we have a national platform on air and online for providing that information, because we make our shows accessible. You know, PBS is accessible to anybody, but for people that don't typically consume their visual content on television, and they just want to watch it on YouTube or on their devices, you know, we make sure that all of our content is out there for free wherever anybody wants to get it. That's awesome. And you kind of jumped into my second question, which is um, um, uh, maybe you can talk to us a bit in a bit more detail. So Uh um, the Growing a Greener World show, right? That's the name of your PBS. I get award-winning show and it's been 10 seasons, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So yeah. how uh how exactly gardening and sustainable living connects um in your mind? Uh how do uh, you how did you start thinking about that? That's my my questions. Like how did you start thinking not just about gardening and farming but also thinking about the environment and the effects right. that the gardening has? Yes. Okay. So um I mean uh, everybody has a connection to food, of course. And you know, uh people have become more interested and concerned about, you know, the quality of the food they're eating, what's going into the food that they're eating, where their food is coming from. Uh, and you know, we also are looking for more opportunities to do more meaningful things with our time personally, selfishly, and that do good for others. Right. So when you think about that and you think about, well, food, starts a lot of food starts from seed 
And seed is related to gardening. So if we can connect people's relationship to food, however that is for them, to where their food comes from, well, you know, it doesn't have to come from 1,500 or 2,000 miles away. It can come from your balcony or your backyard or your front porch or your driveway. You know, you can grow in a container and it doesn't take a horticulture degree or years of experience to create food that you can enjoy yourself. And you don't need chemicals, fossil fuel driven, created products that can hurt, you know, the the ecosystem and the environment and the beneficial insects, the pollinators, the food web, the biodiversity, all of this is connected. You know, I have an expression that I, I love, you know, I have a few, but one of them is tug on anything on earth and you find that it's connected to the rest of the world. Something nice. like that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. But it, everything is connected. And so when you think about ecosystems and biodiversity, you throw off one thing in that cycle and everything else gets thrown off. And so with gardening, you know, if we're out there and we don't know better and we're trying to grow our plants and we think that we, you know, we see a bug and we assume it's a bad bug. But the fact is, most people don't realize that only 3% of all the bugs in the world are considered pests, which makes 97%. Wow. I didn't know that. Either beneficial or neutral, which means they do no harm mm -hmm. and most of them do good. And most of them are food sources for birds and other animals, which, you know, takes that circle of life. And it just, it's critical that we think differently about how we tend to whatever is under our control. And so as we're growing food, we need to do that in an environmentally responsible way. So we think, gosh, is that a good bug or a bad bug? Maybe I should figure that out before I decide whether I need to take it out or not. Exactly. And, you know, educating yourself. And then when you think that you need to put something on your plants to help it grow better, well, you've got options there too. You can use compost, which is taking waste from your trash bins and your on your leftover food on your plate and shredded paper and things that would go to the landfill. And you can throw them into a pile in your backyard and mix it together. And, you know, eight weeks later, you've got the best soil amendment that you can put into your garden, which keeps it out of the landfill and feeds mm -hmm. your plants organically. The worms love it. And there's no better thing that you can put into your soil than compost. And you're taking it out of the waste stream. So it's like, let's just take a little bit of time to educate ourselves on mm -hmm. the things that we can do that not only help us do what we want to do, but are good for the environment and our ecosystem and biodiversity too. And it, it's amazing how much of that comes back to gardening, whether you're growing food or whether you are, are just, you know, growing pretty plants, you know, you still exactly. have to tend to them the same way. Nice. I love it. That That's a great overview and kind of, um, uh, a way, a window into how you are thinking about gardening and farming mm -hmm. in general. I really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, let's start with gardening one on one, as I call mm -hmm. it. Uh, yeah. So, if I um, am, I have a few years of gardening. I mentioned to you before we started recording this episode. I grew up uh, with my grandmother and my mother, uh, mm -hmm. always in the garden, our countryside house in the summers and uh, under not far from Moscow. So that's all I learned for, about gardening is from my mm. grandmother. Nice. Um, but um, if I, uh, let's say our listeners don't know anything about gardening, maybe they have a balcony, maybe they have a small backyard. How mm. do we get started with gardening? What would be kind of your first step and things like where you would educate yourself on before you even start planting or buying seeds, for example? Okay. 
So the first thing I would say is don't wait until you think you know what you need to do to get started. The best way to learn about gardening is just to get your hands dirty. Just start doing it. I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not saying don't, you know, do your homework and don't do your research. I think that's super important. But the best learning, the best gardening comes from experience. And I'm a big proponent of trying something, even if you don't necessarily know what you're doing. And if it doesn't work out, all I ask is that you try to figure out why it doesn't work out. So, you know, ask somebody or look it up. You know, you can typically find that answer yourself, but just put your detective hat on when something doesn't quite go that way that you were hoping it would go to try to figure it out. But once you understand why something happened, you can apply that information to future opportunities. And that's how you become a better, smarter, more confident gardener is by being in the middle of it. So here I am. I've been gardening for a long time and I still actually look forward to making mistakes because that's how I know I'm going to learn something new. And I'm always looking to learn something new. And the best thing about gardening is no matter how long you've been doing it, you don't know it all. There's always more to learn. So if you're brand new at it and you feel like, oh, I have so much to learn and it's just, how am I going to know it all? Well, you're never going to know it all, but you're going to know more tomorrow than you do today if you just start doing something. And the other thing is you don't need to wait until you have a yard or a little community garden plot. If all you have is a container and a bag of soil, plant it, buy a pack of seeds or go buy a seedling and stick it in there and then learn how to grow that thing. Learn what conditions that plant likes and then try to find that location, whether it's full sun or partial shade and just tend to it. And here's the best part. You don't need to love it to death because more plants do better when you give them a little room to grow rather than coddling them and, you know, loving them to death. A lot of people don't realize this, but they think that they really have to nurture that plant and more plants die from overwatering than underwatering. So, I mean, we really can kind of back off and just enjoy the plant, but at the same time, I get it. I'm the guy that wants to nurture those plants as much as anybody. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I'm out there all the time. I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's like, it's kind of like a thrill because you like, Mm -hmm. okay, you planted that seed. So every single day you're checking it. Is something, is something coming up? Are there any sprouts? Yeah. I was just like moving my tomato plant in and out of the greenhouse, like a little, like a baby. And I was like, my grandmother was telling me, it's like, just leave it alone. It's fine. (laughs) But I'm definitely (laughs) one of the person who's just like, I'm babysitting my plans. Uh, I'm smiling from ear to ear right now. I'm picturing that because I see myself doing the same thing. Exactly. Well, um, so uh, what is the main difference between growing plants in the garden versus on the balcony and also containers versus in the actual soil? I'm very curious about that. There's, you know, when you go to Home Depot, you see those um, soil packages uh, with container mm-hmm. soil specifically versus, uh, you know, garden soil. Yeah. And I'm, yes. I, is there an actual difference? So it's a marketing yes. plot. Can you explain? That's a great question. So, so the first thing about the difference between growing something on a balcony and in the garden, um, you are, you have to be uh, mindful of the type of soil that you're using. So, first of all, the plant choices would make a difference. There are plants that you would put out in your garden that get very big, like um, you know, a full size tomato plant is a vine, and mm-hmm. it keeps growing until it gets too cold, and then it stops. But in the process, it literally can get ten feet in length. And that's probably not something that's going to fit very well on your balcony. But the good news is there are tomato varieties that stay small, you know, stay as a bush size or container size, or the breeders and plant developers have 
created varieties of just about every plant that you can imagine that are able to be grown in smaller spaces. So look for something that has sort of that implicit name in it, like it might say uh, cherry container tomato or uh, you know, patio peach or something like that, where it implies in the name itself that it's going to stay relatively small. And then just, of course, look yeah. at the tag or, you know, snap yeah, and the, even on this, Yeah, on the packages of the seeds, it's usually, I've been noticing, it says good for containers. So definitely yes. be on the lookout for that. Mm -hmm. Yes. The other thing to keep in mind, if you are uh, restricted as to where you can grow your, whatever it is you're growing, plants have certain requirements such as uh, a preference for all day sun or mostly shade or something in between. And you should be aware of what the preferences are for your plant. Because if you don't have full sun, but you're growing something that really does best in full sun, you're probably going to be disappointed. It's not that the plant isn't going to grow. It's just not going to thrive. And that could lead to disappointment. You know, you might feel discouraged, but it's not anything. It's not your fault. It's just that, you know, the plant needed things that you couldn't give it. So that's part of understanding if it doesn't work out, you know, that you could put two and two together, read the label and figure out, oh, well, I didn't have full sun and this plant needed full sun. Okay, I'll try something better next time that works for me. So plant choices, just doing a little homework there, and it's not a lot of homework. It's super easy. And then um, if you are growing in a container versus putting it into the ground, containers uh, need very good drainage uh, because if they don't have good drainage, the water doesn't have anywhere to go out in the garden beds. Eventually, the water can get out of that space because it can, you know, go out into the ground and keep going, right? In a container, first of all, you got to have a way for the water to get out of the container. So that would make, you may need to make sure you have a drainage hole, which most of the containers have, but not everyone. And then the soil needs to be light enough so the water just isn't sitting in the pot. Because if water mm -hmm. just sits in the pot, it pushes out the oxygen and the plant roots have to have breathing room. They're living, they're living organisms. So they have to breathe. They need water, but they also need air. And if it's all water, water is going to force the air out. And then the plant's just going to kind of rot or not thrive. So you're looking at soil that's designed and it says it on the bag. It'll say container mix or potting soil. So the name on the bag helps you know what's best for you. Uh, but it's, it's engineered so that Water will drain, and yet there are components in the soil that will help hold enough moisture so it doesn't drain so fast, right? Whereas in outside environments, you use a little bit of different soil. You have more latitude to incorporate some other um, amendments, uh, ingredients into the soil that can help your plants that are more appropriate there that might not be as appropriate in a container. So it's, it is educating yourself a little bit. and um, you can be successful. Yeah. Anything that can grow outside in the ground, you can grow in a container, right? You just have it's to just kind of gonna, pick the right The variety. plant will be a bit smaller. Yeah, got Yeah, it. you have to pick and the right variety. Yeah, good to know about the soil, that it's not just a marketing plot because I'm always skeptical. I have my marketing hat on. It's like, is yeah. this real or not? <laughs> but yeah, I'm Well, I'm there, you know, everything has a marketing spin, but the essence is, yeah, you go by the name on it. And if it sounds like it's made mm -hmm. for a container or a pot, it probably is that yes
Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I have this other question I just recently thought of. I've been researching uh, gardening and kind of following different gardeners on Instagram, and I've noticed on their accounts they have, you know, gardener or farmer and zone seven or something like Mm -hmm. that. So Mm -hmm. I I was not aware of the zones, and apparently they used USDA. has uh, USDA hardiness zone map divides Mm -hmm. North America into 11 separate planting zones. Um, So (laughs) I was wondering if you can briefly tell us about them and how important they are because I haven't been really noticing those actual zone numbers, for example, on the seed packages that I'm buying. Got it. Okay. So the zones, the USDA hardiness zone map is kind of the gold standard and it's actually used around the world, but um, the zones, each zone represents a a temperature range, a a high, high temperature and a low temperature range. And depending on where you live in the country, you are going to be assigned, you know, you're going to live in a certain temperature zone. Like I live in zone seven and then it's subdivided into A and B. So people that live in zone seven, A have slightly colder temperatures than people that live in seven B. So knowing that uh, helps me know when in that year I can start planting my tomatoes outside, for example. So you in San Francisco, do you know what your zone is now? I was just looking it up. I was like, okay. no, I don't. You're probably, um, maybe you're six. I don't know. I, I'd have to look it up too. But because you're in a zone that's different than mine, and six it implies a colder region. The more north you go, the the lower the number and the colder the temperatures. It means that plants that I can grow or start sooner, you can't start as soon as me because it's still yep. too cold where you live. Or mm-hmm. I'm growing something that can tolerate temperatures that um, can do okay where I live, but they, but where you live, it might be too cold to even plant that at all for it to thrive beyond the summertime. You know, in the summertime, it's kind of like across the board. We're all in in a range of temperatures that works for the whole country. But then you get into fall. Well, I'm not going to get as cold as New York, right? So I can grow things in zone seven that New York and zone five can't grow. And people in zone five, New York need to know what plants to buy that do well there that may, like they can't grow a a mango tree or an orange tree there because it's too cold. And so by knowing their zone, it gives them direction and guidance on their plant choices on what will work or what won't work based on the plant's, um, preference for certain temperatures that's good to know yeah i just looked it up it looks like san francisco is 10a and 10b but i don't know if you know san francisco has this weird microclimate uh so in summer june yeah june is uh, pretty much the coldest uh i don't know whoever i don't think it's mark twain who said it but june is the coldest winter i've ever experienced (laughs) Uh, that's one of the quotes san franciscans like to share and it's i I think it's definitely it's not cold but it's very different it's windy and it's yeah. uh foggy so good to know Damn now cold. i know what yeah all of, yeah all of those numbers mean mm-hmm. so what are some common mistakes that first-time gardeners make um i'm pretty sure i made all of them so i'm i'm what what are they well i would say one i've already mentioned a minute ago and that is that they wait to get started they just don't get yeah. started mm-hmm. because they feel like they don't know enough to get started so we've been down that road And that's a big one, though. I think there's a lot of people that are missing an opportunity to garden because they're waiting until they feel like they know enough, and they're never going to know enough until they get started. So don't wait any longer. Secondly, 
don't assume that you don't have a place to garden. We just talked about that. You can garden in one container on your windowsill. Okay. So we got that one eliminated. Number three is that once we decide that we are going to garden, sometimes we get a little too ambitious and we dive in with both feet, you know, and so we overdo it. And so a seed, you know, as tiny as a seed is, that seed can get, can grow something very, very large, but you know, it's hard for us to imagine a tiny little seed or a little exactly. plant that we put in the ground is going to get huge. Like a squash would be a good example. Um, that little squash plant, when we bite it at the garden center, we put it in the ground. We don't know that it's going to get like four feet wide and, you know, four feet around and just mm -hmm. kind of take over a huge part of our garden. And so we've planted too closely too often. You know, we, we don't realize, we don't have that vision to know how big that plant is going to get. So we end up putting things too many plants in too, too small of a space mm -hmm. and then everything gets overwhelming and now that creates new potential problems like because there's not enough air or light getting to that plant because now it's too crowded and all the leaves are shading each other out well that creates problems for maybe it attracts more pests or maybe diseases find your plants because they're not thriving because they haven't been put in an ideal situation so it can become discouraging if you overdo it too fast. I always tell people you can always add to your garden and, and just start out small, take baby steps and learn as you go and have gain that confidence as you go. But I don't want to see you get discouraged right off the bat because your garden gets away from you because it was growing too well and it becomes overwhelming, you know, cause that gardens take, take time. They take, they do require us to show up and be present and do some things, you know, we can do too much, but at the same time, we just can't turn our backs on it either. But, you know, you just have to have realistic expectations and, um, and don't strive for perfection because I don't know anybody that can garden to that level. Mother nature is in control, not us. Exactly. It's just, we just try to give her a run for the money, right? So we're never going to have the final say. And so if we're thinking that we didn't have a perfect garden, well, good, because you're never going to have a perfect garden, but you have to understand that. So you don't, feel so disappointed that you don't come back and garden the next year. The only way you're going to get better is to try it, make mistakes, try to figure out and learn from your mistakes and come back and do it again next year. Thanks so much for listening. We'll get back to today's episode in just a second, but we wanted to take a break to recognize a few companies that we've partnered with. Right now, there are thousands of ethical brands out there which can be confusing and overwhelming. This is why Brightly exists. We are your guide to doing good in the world through conscious consumerism. We personally vet and try products from every single brand that we partner with, both on our podcast and on our platform, brightly.eco, so that you don't have to do the research yourself. Partnerships like this are what helps Brightly and our community grow and increase our impact. Thank you. Laura, you've probably heard me talk all the time about my love for sheets and giggles. I've been sleeping on their new sustainable eucalyptus sheets for the past three months straight. I recommend them a thousand percent. Every week I wash them and put them back on the bed right away. They're my go-to sheets. All of my other sheets, even the ethical ones, are taking a long break. After hearing you rave about them for so long, I finally got to try their new eucalyptus comforter. I'm a weirdo. I really like having a comforter on my bed all the time, even in the middle of the summer. And I haven't been waking up hot when I've been using this one from Sheets and Giggles. It's a great ethical and sustainable alternative to the down one we used to use that's now sitting on our guest bed. 
Another thing I love about Sheets and Giggles is that they don't use plastic packaging and their materials don't use pesticides, so they're kind to our animal and insect friends. They also plant a tree for each sheet set that is sold, and they are passionate about giving back. They give 10% off to their customers who donate their old sheets to homeless shelters and have donated over $40,000 to Colorado COVID relief. That's awesome. Good Together listeners get 15% off by using the code BRIGHTLY at sheetsandgiggles.com. This episode is also brought to you by Bootywear, super soft, comfortable, everyday essentials that Lisa and I are in love with. I love my bootywear socks so much that I wore them for a week straight and then lost one of them. I think about it all the time. That's terrible. Anyway, one of the reasons we love bootywear is because they're made of an ethical and sustainable material, bamboo. Most bamboo around the world is grown without pesticides, fertilizer, or artificial irrigation, so it's super water-friendly. Bootywear uses ethically farmed bamboo and manufactures their products in a closed-loop production process. This means that no water is wasted during production, and it's recycled. Plus, each product possesses important ethical certifications, like RAP for ethical labor, Okotex 100, and more. Yeah, and did you know that bamboo is ready for harvesting in as little as three months, while trees can take more than 20 years? I'm also kind of obsessive about the types of fabrics I wear. They have to be soft or else I won't wear them. Bootywear made the cut for me. The bamboo-based material is really breathable and bootywear turns it into beautiful basics like shirts, socks, underwear, and more for men, women, and kids. Good Together listeners can get 20% off by using code BRIGHTLY at bootywear.com. Bootywear is spelled B-O-O-D-Y wear. Exactly. No, very well said. I think in anything in life, we we can only strive for perfection, but we always have to be uh, okay knowing that we will never be perfect, be it right. gardening or living a sustainable lifestyle. Uh, always strive, strive for perfection, but always mm. know that perfection is yeah. almost impossible. Uh, yeah, and as, as I mentioned, I did, I'm pretty sure I made the same mistake in terms of planting too many uh, plants and seeds too close together. And an interesting mm-hmm. uh, thing happened to me when I just got into this my new garden i had a box gardening box and i mixed the new soil in took all the weeds out back in november and i planted mixed greens and radishes in our gardening 101 post in on our website that was written not by an expert but our but our community who uh who has a little bit more experience with gardening than the rest of us um uh, radishes and mixed greens have been the easiest things for me to uh, yeah. to uh, to grow just because they grow and sprout so quickly. So I yes. planted a ton of them uh, in this container box um, and nothing came out because there were a lot of cold rains in San Francisco mm-hmm. last um, in November. So I gave up on it and there I'm just like there were tons of weeds in, in that box. And then uh, now that I got a greenhouse, I mentioned to you that I got a greenhouse mm-hmm. just to helped me handle the San Francisco weather and cold hmm. nights, even in winter. And I planted a bunch of um, more different seeds, but I realized that all of the old seeds that I planted more than six months ago, they're actually starting to sprout. So huh. I don't, I don't, I, everything kind of mixed in in between. And I realized it's not an ideal uh, situation, but I'll, I'll take what I have. But it, that kind of led to the situation where too many things planted too close to each other. Um, yeah. 
definitely the mistake I've made, but it means that I'm learning. Uh, so <laughs> I'm okay with that. So yeah, you wanted to say something? Uh, well, I was just going to say, you know, what's mm -hmm. interesting about that and you learn this as you, as you gain more experience, but seeds have, um, a lot of information inside of them that helps them know when the proper conditions are there to germinate and they can gauge soil temperature. For example, lettuce seed won't germinate over 80 degrees. Uh, and it, thrives in a certain soil temperature, roughly between 45 and 70. But outside of those ranges, seeds won't germinate or they're slow to germinate or they'll rot in place. But um, it's interesting that you found that some of these seeds that you sowed six months ago suddenly are starting to germinate. Other seeds require a cold period to um, get through a period of what's called uh, chemical dormancy. And so nature, mother nature has to get involved with that. And that's through cold weather. So there's all kinds of things going on in a tiny little seed that you have no idea is impacting why it's not sprouting yet. And you, it has nothing to do with you. You didn't do anything wrong. You can put it in the ground six months before it's supposed to sprout and it'll just sit there uh, usually and sprout when the time is right. So it's a, it's just fascinating. That's one of the things I love about gardening. Yeah. It's just It's amazing what goes on in those tiny little plants and those tiny little seeds. And I'm in awe by yeah. it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I was so surprised. I kind of assumed that after some time, the seeds just die. And my grandmother was like, no, that's not how it works. I'm like, okay, good to know. Same thing with <laughs> happened with me with a container that I put over the rail. And that was cilantro and dill that uh, was growing perfectly fine, just like two minutes in a different house. It's also in San Francisco, but here up the hill, they just wouldn't grow. And mm -hmm. I kind of gave up on them. And then when I, once I put them inside the greenhouse, it started working. And again, I learned, I learned this just by trying, you know, yes. I, I, I definitely try not to give up because I was like, I lost my green thumb. I don't know what's happening, yeah, but, good. um, well, we have to persevere and keep going. So, yeah. uh, I mentioned radishes and mixed greens. Um, that's my personal opinion. Uh, definitely not yeah. an expert one. So what are some easiest plants to grow, especially if you're just starting? I'm curious, like maybe easiest and, um, most kind of thriving plants and herbs to grow inside maybe even an apartment. I know herbs, um, like little apartment herbs, gardens are popular balcony or yeah. inside your garden. Yes. So I would say the first thing is to focus on uh, plants that don't produce fruit. So I'm talking about leafy greens, like the lettuce mm -hmm. uh, yep. and basil and herbs are really great because they um, they sprout pretty easily. Uh, it doesn't require anything fancy. In fact, seed starting is, is so less complicated, I think, than people realize. I mean, you can get really complicated with it, and I have an advanced course on it, but you know, it's amazing how... You can also have uh, seed starting success with out having to spend a lot of money. But to your question, I would focus on things that are just producing leaves so that you don't have to have a certain amount of intense light or uh, time. Because let's take, uh, let's take those tomatoes again. You know, it takes roughly 80 days from the time that you put a seed in the ground until yeah. you're eating a tomato. Plus you need a lot of room and you need a lot of light. You need like eight hours of full sun. But if mm -hmm. you don't have that space or that opportunity and it's just an apartment or a place that you need to grow something inside, then grow some herbs or grow some basil or grow some lettuce or grow some spinach. Uh, you just need 
either a sunny window or a little uh, inexpensive grow light that helps supplement the light, helps supplement the natural light and um, give it consistent water, but not too much and not too little and mm -hmm. enjoy watching it grow and picking off, you know, those leaves and putting them in your salad or on in your dishes as your herbs. And it's amazing. So um, I would it say is. start it's with a... Start with a leafy crops and go that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, leafy greens. Yeah, I mean, as much as I love tomatoes, it does take so much work. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, so I had to ask our community. We have um, brightly ambassadors or scouts, as we call them. And one of our scouts, Laura Byler, would like to know uh, what you think uh, about like what plants grow well together. Uh, she says, "I have read that certain veggies like to grow side by side and help each other. Uh, is there any truth to that?" And so. So what veggies should be garden buddies? You know, I, I, I think that's kind of more anecdotal or more of a wives tale than truth mm -hmm. um, where they're helping each other. Um, there are plants that you would sow after certain crops, but not necessarily side by side. For example, mm -hmm. legumes like peas and beans um, add nitrogen to the soil after after they're done producing their plants, the, the mm -hmm. nodules on the roots provide an organic source of nitrogen, which is going to help feed whatever grows after that. So if you put anything planted into that space after the beans or the peas are done, it's going to benefit from the nitrogen that was provided in the little uh, root nodules left behind by the peas or the beans. So that's not at the same time, side by side, but there is truth to what's called succession planting or what you plant after something mm -hmm. else. But as far as side by side, um, I don't really subscribe to anything like that. I, I just provide every plant the right growing environment and very good mm -hmm. soil and use organic matters, especially compost, and keep an eye on the watering so that it's not too much, not too little, and make sure they get enough light. and. It's amazing how well plants will do with minimal care and just a sure. little bit of attention. Giving them the right growing conditions, they want to grow. And I don't think they really care who their neighbor is. They want to mm -hmm. grow. And most of the time, it works out. So I would say for your listener, grow what you want to grow and put it where you need to put it to make it happen. And if you give it the right environment and you give it good soil and water it properly, and just keep an eye on it. So if you see any problems happening, just try to get ahead of it. But you'll be surprised how successful you'll be without having to worry about too much of that, you know, what works best next to each other. Don't worry about that. Very, just worry about giving yeah. it the best growing conditions. Very interesting. Yeah, because I also heard something similar. I was buying like kind of like a growing kits um, um, with multiple different plant combinations. And mm -hmm. yeah, I was told that, you know, tomato and basil grow well together but once i got it tomato kind of started doing really well and basil kind of died off pretty quickly so um that's good to know and makes it simple for first-time gardeners so yeah. the next question is kind of more timely we are recording this in the midst of the covid19 pandemic so i was wondering how and if has COVID-19 changed your personal thinking about gardening and growing your own food? And maybe mm -hmm. I would be curious, such, since you have such a huge community um, mm -hmm. that you are, you know, your listeners, your viewers, you have an amazing Facebook group. What kind of have you seen any sh different shift in mindsets uh, uh -huh. in terms of how people think about gardening? 
Yeah, yes, that is such a good question. And I have seen it. Um, first of all, personally, you know, I've always appreciated the fact that I'm thankful that I know how to grow food. But it's mm -hmm. but but you know, until you don't have access to all the food that you think you want or need, you don't really miss it. You know, it's like they say, you don't miss something until it's gone or until it's taken away. Mm -hmm. Well, we're all experiencing that right now. We're feeling like, gosh, you know, I that all the things I took for granted. I may not have access to anymore. And I mean, food is first of mind. So to have that knowledge and a little place to grow some food is so empowering. And not only that, you know, because we need it, we need respite. We need mental, we need a mental break. We need to get outside in the fresh air. We need mm -hmm. some downtime. And I got to tell you, spending time in the garden is good for the mind, body, and soul. So I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But as far as um, inter engaging with other people in my community, uh, for example, in addition to all the social media channels and the and the network of people that I'm constantly in touch with that are gardeners, um, my daughter and I start seeds every winter and we grow out tomato and pepper seedlings. And then we offer them to our community for a little bit of money for my daughter's college and car fund. And, you know, it's great to see our returning customers. But this year, when we could not go to the farmer's market or the plant sales because of COVID-19, we decided we would do a little market stand at our farm and people could mm -hmm. come to us and we would place them out of the garden cart so they didn't have to come in contact with us. And it was, it worked out so beautifully, but we still, I wanted to talk to the people. So from a safe distance, you know, I had a chance to talk with a lot of the mm -hmm. people that came by to pick up their plants. And many of them were first time gardeners and they were so excited to be growing wow. their own food and to try this new skill and this new hobby. And so we're bringing on a whole new crop of gardeners for the very first time or reigniting a spark in gardeners that have, you know, thought they'd given it up for good long ago. Mm -hmm. They're, they're totally enthusiastic again. And so for me, that gets me very excited because all I want to do is grow new gardeners. You know, I want, that's why a lot of my focus is on encouraging people that have never gardened before to start a garden. And that's a lot of the focus of Joe Gardner, the brand and the website and the podcast and everything is to give people the confidence that they need to grow like a pro without any required experience. And so mm. I'm seeing it a lot, but, um, you know, for every, every negative thing, you can find a silver lining. And for me, in my sphere, I think, uh, all the new gardeners coming on because of this mind shift is, um, is going to be huge for not only this year, but for, for, you know, forevermore. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we've been seeing, you know, obviously in the terms of content consumption, people are looking for uh, content and pieces and articles on all things gardening and growing your own food across social media. And of course, people coming to our platform, but also me personally, I'm, I've am i been trying to order some seeds from Etsy growers and they've mm. been sold out and, yeah. you know, they're slow in terms of delivering gardeners. I think I ordered some stuff uh, there too. And I will ask you in just a second, some things favorite products of yours in terms of what we can buy for uh, guard, our garden to help us on our gardening journey. But yeah, definitely it's, it's kind of a good thing for people uh, in this industry. They're definitely, I think, overwhelmed with orders. But I, I, as a marketer, as a brand founder, I know it's always a good thing when you have too much demand for your products and yeah. everything that you're yeah. offering. We sold out of our seedlings. We thought we were going to have so many left over. 
because of, you know, we couldn't go to the farmer's market, but we ended up selling out our best year ever. And we've only been doing it for years, but it's exciting to, um, to see the demand and to, just, you know, not yeah. expect to have everybody buy all your plants, but they do. So that's great. That's great. Yeah. And like the interesting thing that we, a lot of times what we discuss on our podcast, and of course, uh, we talk about all things living sustainably and we mm -hmm. talk about ethical fashion and maybe mending your uh, clothing instead of buying new pieces or, yeah. you know, in zero waste, composting comes into place. And then mm -hmm. with gardening and every, almost every other episode, I always mention that, you know, we are going back to our roots you know we're going back to the ways like my grandmother was standing to her garden suddenly i'm doing the same thing mm. you know buying less things but more quality things so it's very interesting and of course during covid19 i think all of these trends kind of came up to the surface just because we finally had the place for our mind to slow down and to mm. think about our behavior our cons uh, consumption trends and things that we use around our house and how we spend time it's it's definitely been very interesting experience but uh, i totally agree with you we do see positive things coming out of this global pandemic and we're really hopeful for the future yeah. um so some of the last three questions we always ask to uh, love to ask our guests. First question is, of course, as I mentioned to you, uh, sharing one or two actionable tips on living ethically uh, that you personally kind of use in your everyday life. And it can be um, something to do with gardening or not. Well, I'll stick with gardening just because it's such a part of my life. It's my passion and my profession, and I'm involved in it every day, which I of love, course. you know, 365 days. But um, I, I like to encourage people when it comes to gardening. And my, one of the reasons I started Growing a Greener World or created that television show was I wanted people to not only learn about gardening, but to do it in a way that really was environmentally sustainable and to learn good stewardship practices. So to that, I would say... Um, with gardening, you know, there's so many ways that you can demonstrate uh, living sustainably and ethically by the choices that you make and not only the plants that you grow, where you get your seed. I mean, there are companies, mm -hmm. seed companies are dedicated to providing only certified organic seed, which means that they have to work harder at producing seed that takes longer to get. And you're not allowed to use certain chemical inputs to get those seeds to market. And so, you're supporting companies upstream from you that are also doing good things environmentally and sustainably. So you're, you're not only uh, supporting their businesses, but then you're carrying that torch forward by using seeds that never had any um, chemicals on them or you know anything um, that wasn't sustainable or provided good stewardship. And then you're carrying that forward. But once you once you are gardening and you're using either those seeds or somebody like the seeds that we grow out and the plants that we sell to our community, they're all grown organically. So the mm -hmm. people that we're handing our seedlings off to can know that we didn't use any pesticides or herbicides or chemicals on our plants. And so by that, by doing that, we're not supporting companies that don't care about the environment or are doing things that are potentially harming, um, you know, nature. And so Gardening is so connected to all of those other things. And so by the choices that we make in the, the way that we grow out our gardens and the way that we source our plants and our seeds, um, it makes a huge difference because there are 
you know, estimates are like 90 million gardeners in the United States. And so if you wow. think about that, that is a very influential group. And we can make a definite impact on the environment by the choices we make. You know, when we're, as just one person, it seems like, mm-hmm. how do I make a difference? But it's the collective efforts of all of us that really adds up. You know, you heard that expression, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Yep. Well, think about that. Eventually you get to the thousand mile mark after you're taking your first step. So it's that collective effort. So I don't know if that made any sense, but. um, No, it absolutely does. Uh, So um, buying organic seeds and seeking out companies that make an extra effort uh, to grow their plants and seeds organically is super important. For me, it sounds like similar to how like, okay, buy fair trade, Uh, you know, any company with a fair trade stamp, make sure that, you know, the workers around the world are paid fairly and the company itself goes above and beyond to ensure that the fair uh, labor practices are you know, supported by them. So yeah, yeah, no, that makes total sense. And um, uh, again, we are huge proponents here at Bridal of voting with your wallet and supporting mm-hmm. businesses yes. that are doing things differently and exactly. sustainably. So that that's a huge one for sure. Yes. And um, I'm very curious personally about this next question. Uh, tell us about your favorite gardening, um, maybe ethical or not, like some gardening brands or products that you really love and would recommend, especially for first-time gardeners. That's a great one. Well, uh, and this goes back to my, you know, part of what I was saying a minute ago yeah. with mm-hmm. my last answer, and that is supporting companies that are doing the right thing in the products that they make, so that I can feel good about mm-hmm. buying their products and putting them into my garden and shopping with my wallet, you know, and voting with my wallet, like you just said. Um, and so one one company that comes to mind, I think is a family business out of uh, California mm-hmm. and their product, Kellogg Garden Products. They make basically organic soils, different types of soils. We talked about that at the beginning of this podcast, potting mixes, garden soil, compost products. But, you know, it's a very competitive market out there for soil products. And and the largest gardening company in the world dominates the shelf space at all the box stores and all the uh, warehouse stores and, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere. And, and I would say that although they, that company offers organic products, that's not their bread and butter line of business. You know, they evolved into that because they knew that there's a greater demand these days for ethically created and sourced products. And so they mm-hmm. basically acquired smaller companies, um, to add that to their product line, but that wasn't their and isn't their core products. Whereas Kellogg's and I don't have any affiliation with them. I just appreciate I've gotten to mm-hmm. know them by researching them. And yeah. I and I understand that they're a third generation company that's always been organic. And so they're competing against these big companies that have a lot of product lines under their name, both mm-hmm. synthetic and organic. But here's this relatively small company competing against it's the David and the Goliath story. But they've managed to get, you know, competitive. Uh, space and like Home Depot and stuff, selling their organic version of the soils that other companies are, you know, similar products, but they're not organic products. And so it's a no brainer for me when I need to buy a bag, a bag mm-hmm. soil product, I'm going to turn towards, you know, Kellogg's or a company like that, that is doing it ethically and with the environment in mind and, you know, all the things that they have to do upstream to create that product so that they can 
walk their talk. You know, they can deliver what they mm -hmm. stand for. And so I want to support that, just like you said. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I was actually on their website before, kellagarden.com, mm -hmm. and I yeah. see that they were founded in 1925. That's amazing. Yeah. I will definitely yeah. make sure next time I go to Home Depot or place an order online these days uh, to seek out their soils mm -hmm. instead of, you know, miracle Grow that I usually buy. And again, once when you don't know, you don't know, and you just usually yeah, right. tend to go for the bigger, most uh, well-known name. Uh, so yeah. that's great advice. So, you know what? Can mm -hmm, I just add ahead. one thing to yeah. that? You mentioned that. To, you know, it's an interesting, it's a, it's a fine line to, to, you know, take a stand against a company like, uh, you know, the miracle Grow product, which is, mm -hmm. has not been organic ever until recently, but all this to say that I'm, I'm thankful that they recognize that there is a enough of a demand yeah, that they exactly. created products or acquired and recently created products that are a miracle Grow product that now is all organic. So you have a choice of getting a quality fertilizer product, but it's organic. And, mm -hmm. you know, so they're, they're making a shift, you know, they're, they're allocating some of their revenue and expenses to creating products that you, you and I would consider buying, you know, whereas before I, it's just, it was never on the table, but exactly. now I like the fact that there are options because if, if they don't put those out there because of their dominance in the marketplace, they've got the shelf space. You're going to see it, you know, mm -hmm. but if it's not there, you're probably going to buy their other stuff. And I'd rather you buy the organic stuff. So yeah, there's but that, it's, you know? Yeah. But it's thanks to companies like Kellogg who started yeah. with that, you know, and right. who created this demand and educated the right. consumer. Now that the uh, big companies like Miracle Grow have to respond to this demand. Same thing with, again, I always draw parallels, ethical fashion, organic foods, you know, yeah. the, you know, the demand has been created by these pioneers in the industry, truly. Mm -hmm. So last question, uh, before I let you go, what excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable movement right now? Maybe it has to do with gardening, but you know, what is the silver lining that you're seeing now, uh, during COVID-19 and beyond? I'm going to bring this back to food again and growing yeah. food. I, I, I think that, uh, we are empowered more than we ever realized to, um, take advantage of the space that we have, no matter how big or small it is to grow food right where we live. So we don't have to add to the food miles to truck food across the world or across the country. Uh, and, and we can not only grow it, but we can grow it in a way that doesn't require chemical inputs or fossil fuels. Uh, and at the same time, we're healthier because we're eating healthy food that's fresh and delicious. And so we're, um, we're not going to the doctor as much. We're not uh, as overweight as we used to be mm -hmm. and, and all of these good things happen. Plus, you know, growing food doesn't have to be something you do by yourself or gardening doesn't have to be something you do by yourself. You can involve your partner or your family or others or community gardens, and you're yep. doing something together, something good. And at the end of the day, there's just nothing wrong with that. And it's all good. And I mean, I, I get very excited thinking about the future and the fact that the more people garden, the more opportunity we have to simultaneously do what's good for us and what we love to do, but do things that are good for the environment too, because there are many things that go into our garden that are edible and non-edible, but complement each other that are pollinators and are beneficial insects depend on 
that provide that biodiversity in those healthy ecosystems. And as gardeners, we are at the forefront mm -hmm. of being responsible for making that happen, for protecting those habitats and creating new ones and sustaining the ones that are there because there's so much urban sprawl and you know um, loss of habitat because of development and other things, but gardeners get it and they're mindful of yep. it. And we can do things, even if you live in an apartment, if you on your balcony do something and your neighbor and their apartment does something and you know three quarters of the people in that apartment building are doing something outside that attracts monarch butterflies to the little container on their balcony. Mm -hmm. I mean, how cool is that? So we all can do something, and um, the future is so exciting to me. In spite of the fact that we're dealing with, you know, constant habitat loss and constant urban development and sprawl, we still can can regain some of that lost ground and make a difference and see recovery at the same time. Absolutely, I can't agree more with you. And we actually one of the early episodes, I think maybe episode number three of the Good Together, wasn't we called it the birds and the bees, where we uh, dived a little bit deeper into you know the loss of the birds population and of course the insects mm -hmm. too. Uh, so we'll link back to that. But it's such a great note to end with. Gardening is really easy, and if this episode and this conversation with Joe uh, did not make you convinced that you can and should absolutely go outside and garden and uh, grow something yourself i don't know what will i'm so excited to uh share this episode with our audience and listeners and i will be sharing with you joe all the amazing feedback that i'm sure we will get thank you so much for this conversation you are welcome lisa thank you too thank you Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.